Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Saying the Tone. In our retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we're discussing Season 9, Episode 11, which is titled A Little Help from My Friends. Beatles fans must have wrote wrote this episode. Uh, The episode aired on January 9, 2003. Lauren was going on that week 20 years ago as we approached the convergence of real time and of ER time and our time, which of course will end the universe. You keep making me do these awful fucking trigger warnings. Look, why, no, no, why? we'll do it. No, no, we'll do it no, when we it's start, the, start talking about the, the episode. It's the writers. It's no, the writers no, that are making Lizzie, you do these trigger I, warnings. We do it in order of where it is in the episode. So before we forget, we're talking about it. Guys, trigger warning this week for pedophilia. We're not happy about it either. See you next week if, Sex, it's, if it's not for you. Sexual just, assault um, involving a minor, but not shown, just described. Uh, oh, yes. Either way. Point is, we'll see you next week. We love you. Have a great week. Um, if you stick around, we appreciate that you're along for the ride with us, but boy howdy, we know nobody wants to be here oh, for this boy. one. With that being said, headlines this week are the company that everyone looking for a job hates, LinkedIn, is founded in California. Today, today the site boasts 930 million users, including your boss's boss, who apparently has nothing better to do than try and shame millennials and Gen Z all day. Too real? Uh, no, on, on point. Okay. Uh, Stranger Things actor Finn Wolfhard was born in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Climate activist Greta Thunberg is born in Stockholm, Sweden. And rapper 50 Cent releases his... I forgot say how to read. it right. No, no, no. Say I forgot. it right. No, I forgot how to read for a second. I missed a word in there when I was reading. Uh, rapper 50 Cent releases his smash hit single in Duh Club. The song would go on to be the best-selling single of 2003. I'm sorry, but you guys need to see the look that Lizzie and Daniel are both giving me right now. I gotta use, sell use it. It's Christian In name. Duh Club and The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, absolutely dominates the box office for all four weeks of ER's holiday break. Other notable new releases include Star Trek Nemesis, Gangs of New York, Catch Me If You Can, and Chicago. Something for everyone in there. Definitely. I was going to still... say, like, holy shit. It's the, the, movie, the movie that Jake uh, keeps insisting to this day is good, despite the fact that all evidence to the contrary uh, is out in the world. Yeah. Uh, Gangs of New York, which I've never seen, but I've heard. It's like one of those hot or cold movies. It's either like you think it's the greatest movie ever made or you think it's boring hot dog shit. I think Fun it's... story. Yeah, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, in the 11 years, 12, 11 years that Lizzie and I have been dating, we have tried to actually sit through Gangs of New York, I think, at least five times. At least. Because I, I always want to watch it. Like, the movie itself interests me. But it's just one of those things where by hour seven, my eyes glaze over and it's like, I keep wanting to try it, but I have amnesia about what the first six hours were about, which I'm sure Daniel is how you would feel if you watched even two minutes of Lord of the Rings. So I get it. Mm. But um, yeah, so it's like, I want it. Eventually, I, it's my, my, my Mount Everest. Eventually, I will finish it. But also, just not this day. Nice little double feature there featuring Leonardo DiCaprio, Gangs of New right? York. Right? I was like, holy. Yeah. I mean, not yeah. not that anybody not that anybody needs to like root for that upstart Leo DiCaprio, but holy shit, like my man yeah. is is kind of approaching the the pinnacle of his powers here as we I think probably I would say the arguably the next 4 years or so is the peak of Leo, like where he's in like prestige shit all the time. He can do 
pretty much no wrong. Like even Gangs of New York, which is objectively too long and and too you know up its own ass, people still love that movie. And stylistically, like, it's amazing. I do. Yeah, Catch Me If You Can is a really good movie, uh, based on a really stupid, obviously fake story. <laughs> but mm-hmm. like, it's it's a really great movie. Uh, you know, he's still got uh, the Aviator coming up. Like, he's still uh, Shutter Island. Well, Shutter Island's a few years after that. Yeah. But like. Departed. That's the the big one I was thinking. Departed. The departed. The departed. Yeah. Use ah, you use, use, use its Christian name if you're gonna make Lawrence say in the club. Micro processes. Micro processes. No, I love that movie so much. God damn it. Uh, but yeah, it's just weird to see. Like, it's not weird, but it's just it, it's weird for us to be at this point in the timeline here, where we we've been through the Titanic, uh, you know, period with uh, Leo. And now we're coming up to his like A plus plus five star movie star era where like he's gonna be in everything for the next five years. And Lose Yourself by Eminem continues its own dominant run atop the music charts. Daniel, what else was on? At eight PM, friends with the episode The One Where Rachel Goes Back to Work. At eight thirty, Scrubs with my new old friend. At nine, Will and Grace with the episode Field of Queens. <laughs> Uh, and at 9.30, Good Morning Miami with Jake's Nuts Roasting on an Open Fire. <laughs> that's uh, popular for co-host Jake Terrell Esquire. Uh, that's right. I was, I was giggling at Field of Queens first because I'm a fucking <laughs> idiot, and then I heard Jake, or, and then I heard Daniel start to say the next one, and I'm losing it. It's fine. Uh, Jake, we I've love never you. had never had any interest whatsoever in Good Morning Miami, but God damn it if I don't want don't to watch this episode just for the, just for the title alone. This week's episode has a uh, kind of uh, kind of minuscule by modern, well, not by modern standards, but by ER standards, uh, 21.5 <clears throat> million tuning in. We are down, I think, almost a full 6 million since the season premiere. Like, we are, we are losing them in droves here. Well, we are solidly into the mid-season nonsense. Yeah. The mid-season doldrums, and also, too, I think, I forget if it was Aaron or if it was somebody else in the Discord. If it wasn't Aaron, I apologize. I just assume it was Aaron, because it was heavy heavy leg work involving ER. Um, I think somebody did, the did like, the numbers, and this always apparently happens with the episode after Christmas, because they take yeah. such a long break. Yeah. They take such a long break around Christmas that it's kind of inevitable that the first episode back in the new year always is kind of tanks a little bit. So... Um. Yeah. Uh, directed by Alan J. Levy, doing his second out of two. Last time we saw him was last season's episode Beyond Repair, uh, and written by Julie uh, Hebert, doing her second of four as a writer. And last time we saw her was earlier this season with A Hopeless Wound. Uh, and we also continue with No Corday this week, taking a little bit of an extended holiday break. Is our favorite British surgeon? Just gotta go on uh, holiday, right? Extended holiday. Uh, previously on is brought to us by Pratt and we come in with Luca deep in thought while a uh, daunting poster of a little girl behind him says the time is real the time is now in the elevator with some very heavy music cues they're still doing the music cues from uh, Mm -hmm. hindsight uh, which I kind of was like oh no are they going to carry this through throughout the whole episode no it's just it's just kind of to remind you a little bit of you know what we what we were doing the last which I actually kind of like when you factor in the fact that there was the real life almost a month break mm-hmm. uh, between last episode and now it was probably a good little like you know auditory reminder of like oh yeah remember that weird bullshit we were doing last time well now we're into new weird bullshit this week um susan and abby are waiting for him before they go into uh, an m&m uh and uh Anspa is heading this uh m&m inquiry up and 
Luca's in his uh, Sunday best here as they try to sort out the the mess that was from last week's episode uh, with the uh, what was what was the guy's name Rick Rick yeah Rick. keep that in mind for later in the episode that could, it doesn't become important but it is a little quirk thing uh, but we go into the intro with some bangs come out of the intro to uh, Sandy and Carrie doing their their best gay nesting uh, as they set up for their their hopefully newborn child very soon we'll get into that throughout this episode of course oh boy but before we get into that sadness let's get into other i don't just general fuckery uh let's hear from abby who's at the m&m you drew blood but didn't send them for two hours we were swamped and the young man looked like he had the flu i told her we can do big workups on every kid with the flu something all doctors say at one time or another the intubation problem or lewis Because of the patient's thrombocytopenia, there was hemorrhage in the hypopharynx. We attempted- but Could you see the cords, Dr. Kovach? No. Dr. Kovach felt he'd performed an endotracheal intubation. Felt? He listened for breath sounds. Did he use an end tidal CO2 detector to verify? When I walked into the trauma- I had made a series of critical errors, including the priming the patient of oxygen. I refused to let Dr. Lewis take over and proceeded to put the Shiley in the pre-tracheal space. About the only thing I didn't do was put a plastic bag over the guy's head and hit him with the brick. We're not trying to assign guilt. In a teaching hospital, we learn from complicated cases and their outcomes. I had two hours sleep. I was hungover. I should have admitted I couldn't work, but I didn't. I was sloppy and arrogant. Abby warned me the boy was sick and I ignored her. So fire me, take my license, shoot me whatever but let's just not pretend there's anything to learn here i i killed him the patient isn't dead did anyone ever bother to verify that there really are medical schools in croatia anyone so first up i need luca's little tirade there that you know fire me shoot me take my license thing i just need that as a just sound bite anytime i'm pissed off at work just i was just gonna say his whole energy in that entire clip is the like you're already having a bad day and then there's a minor inconvenience or somebody gives you a minor bit of criticism or correction on something you've done at work or or in a, you know just this that one it's that straw that breaks the camel's back that you're like just or fuck it you've just gotten done with a shit show of a day and you're about out the door and somebody says hey do you have one more minute and then it's 30 30 minutes later yeah it's that energy just like fuck <laughs> so i i felt this deep in my bones when when he said it and i'm like i just need this on a on a fast play all the time also i love how abby's like kid's not dead well just, you know yeah but still <laughs> I, just, I appreciate the effort they're just he's, he's yeah. not dead <laughs> not dead but. yet uh yeah i also like this is a totally like weird like verbal thing you pick up on like more more so in an audio clip than in anything else but i love the sound when this i've noticed this is kind of like a little bit of a verbal thing with uh with luca when like he's trying to get a lot of words out at once and particularly when he's trying to get a lot of like complex medical jargon words out at once Mm -hmm. he does this thing like as he gets 
is as the air gets less and less in his lungs and he's trying to just get across the finish line he starts spacing the words out in a really strange yep. way yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and like the uh the the thing at the end there where he's talking about the pre-tracheal space like just something about that is like I, I don't know how to describe it other than just for you to listen to it and hear it and then you'll start hearing it all the time yeah like when he he's struggling to finish getting up the last little bit of a sentence like that he will just start spacing out the words really interestingly it's not a bad thing it's not a criticism it's just it's kind of one of those unique little quirks uh that then we go down to susan and luca are in the lounge after this and he thanks her for standing up for him and covering his ass he's like you really didn't need to they know what happened but thank you anyway and she's like yeah you know happens to us all we've all been there we've all done stupid shit and then she goes all right time to get back to work i love his response you think i still work here (laughs) Don't know about that one, Chief. Uh, but we go our first patient of the episode, 28-year-old Chip Mealy. He called an ambulance because he had insomnia for the last three days. And the ambulance, the EMT who brings him in is just like, yeah, it's a red a red taxi or something like that. What, Whatever she said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, took He took five over-the-counter pills to help him sleep and nothing happened. I said he, he had a problem with his girlfriend three days ago, and Susan orders a psych consult. Because she can't give him drugs until psych has come to see him. <sighs> uh, so this storyline sucks. Yep. Uh, but it's made eh, smith more bit funny question mark air quotes. I don't know. Uh, so the no, we have a funny patient this episode. The actor who's playing Chip here, um, his name is Rob Moore. Uh, he has a, I'm just going to say it, wholly unremarkable IMDb resume. Like, he has, like, 12 credits total, most of which are, like, guy number three. Like, he's just not really, he doesn't, he has not been that prolific as a an on-screen actor. Um, but what's really unfortunate is that IMDb miscredits him this episode as Inseminator, <laughs> which I'm pretty nope. sure that... I'm pretty sure they got him confused with the electro ejaculator guy from later in the episode. Jesus Christ. And given the nature of his work mm. in this episode, it's a particularly unfortunate happy coincidence that particularly uh, egregious. Yeah. So he's miscredited in this cuz I was like searching through I was like this guy is like all over this episode. Why can I not find him? in the you know cast list and then i started googling around more and more and, and eventually circled back to this guy's imdb and found his credit from this episode and he's credited as inseminator oh no which is also a very unfortunate superhero name yeah but really uh that, then we have a just super transphobic joke where um they're talking about a patient mrs wilkes and chuni tells carter oh but she has a penis I mean, I didn't think it was technically that she got the technically she got the pronouns right. But the way yeah. she's giggling about it. True. It is a little bit joke for the sake of a joke. But I will, yeah. you know, based on where we were just a couple episodes ago, I will give them credit where credit is yeah. due. They got the pronouns right. That's fair. I don't think she I don't think she was doing a, like to be genuine pronouns. I think she was being like she oh, has no. a penis. No, of course but, not. This is <laughs> What what about my last uh, 30 seconds led you to believe that wasn't me shit posting? I don't know. I thought you were I thought you were actually being optimistic there. I'll allow it. Anyway, uh Pratt sets off the metal detector because this episode just can't get any better and uh he found a gun outside behind the dumpster which set the detector off and security card 
security guard is going to call the cops because it's an unlike registered gun and he can't bring a gun into the fucking ER. Brett's like, I was going to get rid of it. This is a whole fucking thing. Guys, this whole, whole episode should just be titled, It's a Fucking Thing, and we can move on. Like, this whole episode. Do we really need to talk about it? I guess we do. Um, a van comes into the ambulance bay, and this woman has driven in her gardener who slipped when he was about to trim a tree. Anyway, uh, so I mentioned we have a, we do have a comedy patient this episode, and here we are. And you're my boy, Blue. Uh, old man comes in complaining of chest pain and shortness of breath during sex, and he is 93 years old, and Lauren... Whose films are those? And who we plays... We got a not horrible one this time, guys. And who plays uh, Blue from Old School? Yes, Mr. Gilman, who is played by actor Patrick Grenshaw, who appears in stuff like Nothing to Lose, The Hudsucker Proxy, and yes, he is our boy Blue in Old School. Uh, and he did pass away in 2005 because dude was a method actor. He was old as fuck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He was he was probably close to 93 in this episode. Um, and yeah, like I said, he passed away just a couple of years after this. And uh, Gallant gets a message from Harkins that she is going home today. Bye, Harkins. Right? It's actually... No, no. There God is actually, There is actually, I think, a visual uh, scene with Harkins. I think it's either next episode or maybe the one after that. I, I have to look at her thing. But she, she does get one more on-screen appearance. We talked about the note, and I got so excited that that was it, and we were done. Um, but then uh, Pratt is working on the gardener that's been brought in. Uh, the woman that brought him in doesn't speak Spanish, because, of course, she just doesn't. Um, and Jerry brings the security team in because they're looking for Pratt and need to talk to him now. Uh, we go back to Chip sobbing, and Susan comes to talk to him. He just wants to sleep. I would, too, if I'd been up for three days. God knows I'm cranky enough being up for 12 hours. <laughs> uh, and then a young girl comes in talking at the speed of light, not sound, talking at the speed of light, and talks about Susan having a square face and the geometry of that, and if that's actually a real thing. And we learn that she's a mathlete that Chen, Chen has been checking on because, like, she's like this, so we gotta see what's going on. And her name is Anastasia. Anastasia? Anastasia? I don't remember how they say it. But either way, she's a fun little comedy beat this episode, which is definitely needed. Uh, and then Susan asks Jerry if her face is square. And Jerry just gives her the best the fuck you talking about look. <laughs> He's like, I don't fucking know. Uh, and I did uh, I did double check uh, Harkins. It's not not next episode, but the, the episode after that, episode 13, is uh, her last on-screen appearance. So we're not quite done with Harkins just yet. Gotcha, gotcha. Now we go up to the ICU. Luca's looking for a chest film on Moriguchi? I got it because I thought the patient name mattered. It doesn't. He's just up there as an excuse. From, yeah. So he asks how Rick is doing in the ICU. And Daniel had a note. Uh, yeah, so uh, the, this is where we get our second appearance, air quotes, of uh, Michael Ely from last week. Uh, and But he, of course, is not speaking. He's, you know, basically he's comatose on the bed. We, we see him for a brief second. And that's really the only um, – this is the main involvement from that patient uh, in this episode. But I did notice that uh, in the IMDb notes or the IMDb cast list for this episode, they have Michael Ely credited as Ryan Kendrick instead of Rick Kendrick for this episode. So they changed his name between last episode and now. Um, I like When I read this, because like, they, they do – like if you look at uh, Michael Ely's page – 
they list his credits on ER as two separate characters. Like they mm. listed as Rick Kendrick and Ryan Kendricks, which made me think. I was like, is there some kind of like we're gonna see his twin brother show up and like have like read Luke of the Riot Act or something? No, it's just that IMDb fucked up the credits. So. Well, anyway, Rick may need dialysis, and Lucas talking to Rick's mom, who was also there. And yeah, it's just, you're just kind of, you're saying too much, Luca. You're kind of just kind of gunning for that malpractice lawsuit, aren't you? And who plays Mrs. Kendrick here? He's, he's that meme of the girl, like, standing out in the middle of the street going, hit me with your car. Like, he's just like, just, just malpractice me, bro. Uh, Mrs. Kendrick here is played by actress Barbara Eve Harris, who appears in stuff like FUBAR, Prison Break, and Chicago PD. She's got 110 credits to her name. She is one of the more egregious examples of uh, putting Troy Evans' theory to shit that you're only allowed to play one character on ER. Uh, because she's going to make two more appearances as a different character to include one this coming later this season. So, like, before this season is done, this lady's going to be back with us as a completely different character. Oh. So, ugh. Troy, Wait, come on, man. Troy. Troy. Uh, but anyway, Rick had no idea about the leukemia, and Romano sees Luca talking to the mom and you know, rightfully calls him out on it. He's like, what are you trying to do? You're uh, trying to, what is he? He says, what are you doing? Your own M&M with the kid's mother? And the truth is you killed her son. And do you want to tell her that? And he reminds him that a lawsuit would do much more harm than to just one patient. Yeah, it's actually a, a very convincing little monologue by Romano there like of the realities of like this is this is now becoming more of a situation of like this isn't just about Luca feeling sorry for himself or, or wanting to punish himself like this could have potentially catastrophic consequences for the hospital as a whole and like prevent them from treating other patients while he's busy trying to like you know make himself punish soothe himself his soul. soothe his soul yeah uh, but we then see uh, Susan talking uh, to Chip uh, about how uh, they can't give him any meds without seeing Psych first. Uh, he's crying, saying that everybody's going to hate him. Uh, and this is where the, the this is where we take that hard left mm. turn with this storyline, just Ooh, like boy. completely drive it into the wall. Uh, his girlfriend walked in on him with her son. Uh, he was. <laughs> Fully planning to do something, uh, but she walked in and interrupted, and I hate it. It's only going to get worse, so buckle up. Uh, we go back to our 93-year-old patient, Mr. Gilman. He crashes, but they're able to get him back. They're still waiting for his wife to show up. Uh, in the midst of all this chaos, Halle points out that Carrie has some blood on her coat, and uh, this episode's about to go from bad to worse. Can't wait. Uh, we see Pratt and Chuni working on Jose, the gardener, and Susan calls Psych again, saying that uh, Dr. Gerard needs to see someone immediately. More on that in a bit. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, Anastasia, the math lead, erased the whole board. Good job. And she took a bunch of Ritalin. And she says that the equation that she's writing on the board proves the existence of God. <laughs> oh, sweet summer child. Uh... Jerry uh, says Anastasia should have put the whole board, should have to put the bo whole board back up, not him. And I also want to note, I love Susan's clap back when she proves God. She's like, I can't even prove my gas bill. <laughs> Always good for dry, sardonic Susan. Yeah. But I do love how Jerry's like, make her do it. And then she starts doing it. She's like, 
she's like, what's Appy? What am I putting here? She just goes for it. It's great. It's like, yes, let this child on Ritalin have everybody's medical data to get these charts filled back in. That's fine. No problems there. Totally cool. Then we see Pratt and security talking more about the gun. Nothing is done there yet. Um, Susan is still on the phone with Psych when we learn Chip, not Chop as I have in the notes, Chip has walked away. Fuck, he's not in bed anymore. Fuck. Um, yeah, fuck. Then we go to Carrie in an empty exam room with the portable ultrasound, and she's, you know, trying to give herself an ultrasound to see what's going on and if the baby's okay. Abby walks in, and Carrie just says, I can't find the heartbeat. And I love this throwback to Abby's time up in OB as a nurse because she she jumps in and offers to help and is able to take a look with Carrie and neither of them can find the heartbeat. And Abby's like, do you, do you want me to get you anything? Do you want me to get you the you know resident on call upstairs? And Carrie just says, I think it's better if it happens naturally. And Laura Inez... This episode, Daniel sent us a shit post already about the heavy lifting that she is doing this episode. Holy shit! She, yeah, she's Just, she's full blown carrying this episode. Like no that, pun intended. No, no pun intended. Like she is, she is the only thing really to write home about in this episode, and so it's, good. It's great. I mean, it's it's sad that it's such an upsetting you know twist for her character, but just like the performance there is phenomenal, undeniably. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Gilman's wife has arrived, and oh look, she's much younger and very attractive. Wonder what's going on there. Uh, Abby calls all the guys pathetic because they're all staring at her because she is a very attractive woman, but you still shouldn't stare. Uh, You stare any harder and her ass is going to burst into flames is what they say. I think, is it it Pratt or is it Jerry who goes, I'd put that fire out, stop, stop, and roll. It it is 100% Jerry. Well, it's both of them because Jerry says, I I love his like distracted, like thousand yard stare thing where he's like, I'd put that fire out. And Pratt right behind him with the uh, drop in of stop, drop, and roll. I shouldn't laugh because it's absolute just awful behavior but the delivery is too good (laughs) the delivery is very good and uh mrs gilman here is played by actress sophia milos milos uh who appeared in stuff like csi miami something from 2017 called fake news which i just imagine is a horrible just dreadful experience to sit through and watch uh and she did also have a somewhat memorable uh guest star role on the sopranos uh where she was uh, in one episode uh appearance there i forget it's it's relatively early on in the show so lizzie may have seen it um but it's the episode where uh tony's neighbors are out of town for the weekend and they have a house sitter yep uh, yep, yep, yep 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 and she's like this angelic italian you know goddess thing that and it come to find out spoilers for the end of the episode come to find out that he just imagined the entire thing and he's been sick in bed for three days so yeah that one was fucked up it's fucking weird but uh and then uh we see Kason uh sharing uh, the the shitty prognosis for mr gilman here <laughs> and mr G- <laughs> mr gilman i think it's gallant he leans into yeah yep Excellent choice, by the way, having Gallant, Gallant with be this the fucking one. patient. <laughs> I just like it, it's actually quite good. Like this is a story that on paper, especially when you pair it with everything else that's in the episode is like, Jesus Christ, this is stupid. Uh, I'm amazed R. Scott Gilman's not involved uh, or R. Scott Gilman. <laughs> 
R. Scott Gimmel. God damn it. R. Scott Gilman. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's one of those storylines that kind of has R. Scott Gimmel written all over it. Um, uh, but, uh, he lean he pulls, pulls, uh, Galat down to his level and is like, when can I bang her? <laughs> and he has to try to like politely, he has to try to like put that through the, the nice boy Galat filter to tell Kaysen mm-hmm. what it, what it is he's asking. Um, but yeah, it turns out they're trying to have a baby and uh, Kaysen gives him uh, the old two flights of stairs rule. If you can make it up two flights of stairs without getting winded, then go for it. Go for it. God love you. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but That's about uh, right. We then see uh, nurse. Uh, nurse says the security needs to talk to Carrie as she's finishing changing into her scrubs. And uh, Carrie then tucks her clothes uh, under one of the gurneys. Uh, which the way they conspicuously stick on her, uh, sticking her clothes under the gurney, I really thought that was going to come into play right? at some point. It was like Chekhov's bloody clothes. Like I really thought it was going to come into play for later on in the episode, and it really doesn't. But uh, just thought that was interesting. And uh, Anastasia is in the lounge uh, assembling a dome with cups. Which honestly, whoever had impressive. to set that up, I'm impressed. Very, very, very cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carter compliments the work and he knocks it over, all over right as Carrie comes in of course because Carter is our physical comedy master so we have to yeah. we haven't seen him do some good like sp- not spit takes but some good goofy man stuff in some a bit slapstick well, thank you that's the word I was looking for yeah. well here they- we go and Carrie approaches him with about talk about what happened with Pratt after you're done playing with your toys or something or t- playing with your yeah. cups yeah. your Lincoln says, logs I your think. Lincoln logs yes thank you uh, and then through the window, we see Pratt trying to stop the woman who brought Jose in. Like, he's, like, banging on the, the hood of her van and shit. And um, just, like, yelling at her, like, you can't just leave him here, blah, 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 blah. Carter comes out, and he's like, your patients know where she lives. Just have, him, have them report her to the police. And Carter confronts him about how he's throwing his career away, being late, being distracted, being irritable. Just, like, all this shit's apparently going on with Pratt right now. Not great. Um, and then we get Rosemary Bell, 18-year-old. She is in restraints because she was flailing on the scene. Uh, Carrie and Abby are working on her, and they think Susan has worked on her before. We realize that she's hard of hearing um, or deaf when she she and Carrie start signing together. A great character throwback for Carrie that she is, in fact, uh, ASL fluent. And Rosemary is septic. Boof. Uh, and Rosemary here is played by actress uh, Shoshana Stern, who appears in stuff like Jericho, The Hammer, and Supernatural, uh, and is actually part of a fourth-generation deaf family. Uh, so mm. Mm. shout out to her. And also, I believe I read, too, that what uh, her grandmother, I think, her maternal grandmother, uh, was a Holocaust survivor. So, oh, wow. Yeah. But kudos to them for actually like getting a, uh, a deaf person to play a deaf person. Imagine that. Yeah. She is great in Jericho. Till she is shot and killed. Wow. Um, spoilers. spoilers for a show I was never going to watch. Exactly. Hey, she goes down in a defending Lazy. her farm from a bunch of, bunch of bad people in the post-apocalyptic Back days. on track. Anyway, uh, man is saying he doesn't want a female doctor, you asshole. Um, woman with him is Miss Patty from Gilmore Girls. 
Hey, uh, yeah, the assistant. So we have a doctor here and an assistant. Uh, the assistant is uh, played by actress Liz Torres, who appeared in stuff like the John Larroquette show, Joe Dirt, and as Lizzie pointed out, Gilmore Girls. And she is making her first of two appearances. Uh, the patient, who we will find out is a doctor, uh, Dr. McNulty, he is played by the much more famous, much more recognizable Ed Asner, who uh, is one of the most prolific Oh Hey It's That guys in the history of fucking on-screen entertainment. Like, holy God. Uh, the man was in uh, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Elf. Uh, I just realized, after doing the notes for this episode, that he's the voice of Carl in Up. Yeah. Like, he's the, the voice he's of the old guy in Up. Like, holy shit. Um... And he uh, had a hundred, uh, had four hundred and ten credits to his name, dating all the way back to nineteen fifty seven. Uh, he's making his first of three appearances uh, here, uh, and he did, of course, pass away uh, just a couple of years ago in twenty twenty one. Four ten's got to be the record for the entire show. Right? I believe I believe we had somebody earlier this season who beat that. But really, I, yeah, I have to go back and do the it, it's up there, though. It would definitely be top five, top yeah. top, probably top three. But uh, was I know we, I know we had somebody earlier this season who I said was the high water mark for the entire show thus far. So we'll yeah. see. I'm sure somebody Aaron, you know, Ma, Ma. One, one, one of you fuckers <laughs> like just somebody somebody go back and listen and tell me who that was. Because be tr- nice to the listeners, Daniel. <laughs> that They're was nice. wonderful people. No. No, they do our jobs better than us. We <laughs> can't true. be nice. It's true. So, you know, one of you guys, you, you'll go back and listen and tell me who it was I was talking about when I said that, uh, because I got to know if 410 beats that. But yeah. Also, was he Santa and Elf? Yes, he was. Thank you. Yeah. He's gonna Santa, me. Santa and Elf, I believe he was the last surviving main cast member of the Mary Tyler Moore show. Um because I know we've we that that show got that show's gone through kind of a bloodbath in the last five years. Like that show is really, you know, once we lost Mary Tyler Moore, it was kind of all downhill from there. But I think he was the the last man standing with that cast. But yeah, I'm interested to to revisit his little arc on here. I, I remember some little details and others I don't. And it's a it's a guest arc that when we've talked to people from the show, they they mentioned Ed Asner as one of the people they were you know excited to get to to meet and work with so which makes sense he's a kind of a hollywood legend so yeah well anyway someone broke into his clinic for uh for some to score some drugs and carter insisting to get a ct because he got hit in the head with a baseball bat i believe or something I think like so, that yeah i think so uh but mr mcnult dr mcnulty here is betting t- uh, bets carter 10 bucks that's negative i mean hey feel like it I like his sass, but then we go over to Abby telling a little boy how to take it, mm, how to take a urine <laughs> test, and waits in the hall for him. And fucking hell, the way this is sh- okay, I do have to appreciate as someone who loves me a good horror movie. I love the way how this is shot, where the back of the hall is out of focus for a minute, and then as the little boy walks in, the um, the far end of the hall comes into focus, yep. and we see Chip clearly, and we see him walk into the bathroom after the kid. Like, fuck, that's horrible. But from a an oh my, from like a horror movie standpoint, it's excellent cinematography. Yeah, I'm just gonna throw that out there. Um, and then Pratt is suturing a patient when Carter talks to him. He was running late, which is why he didn't throw the gun in the river before work. Okay. Um, and Abby then tells Susan Chip is in the bathroom. 
Uh, she's relieved because she thought he had left. So great. Great. My guy's still here. Uh, but then she panics because Abby tells her that, you know, she's waiting on a patient to finish a urine test because she had to tell the kid how to do it. And Abby barges in and luckily the kid's okay. He's in the first stall and he's like, I peed on my hands. Abby's like, it's okay. Wash your hands. You're fine. But they find Chip in the end stall with evil carved into his forehead. And Abby's like, Chip, did you do anything? Did you do anything to that boy? And Chip says, no, but I wanted to. Totally normal one here, guys. Uh, this is fucking great. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Uh, speaking, uh, Carrie's working with the deaf woman. Uh, her bladder infection, she has a bladder infection that has spread to her kidneys. And the woman don't, doesn't want her parents to know that she's sexually active. Uh, Carrie is sharing information with her when she has an absolutely awful looking wave of cramps. Just, ooh, I felt them. Just, mm. just ugh. Awful. Awful, awful, awful. She sells it very well. Yep, and as she's trying to get out of the room, uh, Gallant grabs her to try to ask for some help, and she tells him to go find another attending. Uh, and uh, they go back, uh, Gallant goes back into the trauma room where we find Mr. Gallant's wife trying to have sex with him uh, on the gurney. And the wax. <laughs> does this feel like a? Does this feel like an early like season, like season one, season two, kind of like wackety schmackety, oh. like zigging and zagging, pulling you in both directions? A little uh, bit. You get to Mr. Gilman yelling out, "I want my Viagra," <laughs> which is just when you think about where we were just like two minutes ago. We were in a bathroom mm. with a guy with evil carved into his forehead. Um. Mr. Gilman's kids, his adult kids, have shown up uh, saying that they have power of attorney and they want uh, the wife out now. Coco. Uh, Coco, yes. With That's, a K. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, then we see Dr. Durad and Susan talking about what to do with Chip. And uh, and Dr. Durad is saying how, you know, he can't ad- cannot, uh, admit someone or he cannot restrain someone or, or hold someone for yeah. for merely thoughts. He has to have a plan. He has to admit to a plan in order for them to do anything. So, which is one of those things that it's like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like, I, mm-hmm. I'm glad that rule is in place for every other application, but uh, you know, it's the it's the one little tiny you know loophole there that I'm really like. Oh. I mean, you could argue that he's actively self harming, and then use yeah, that danger to self. Sure, Boom. admit that's true. Uh, yeah, it's not, uh, not great. Uh, we see Pratt and Chen teasing each other when Pratt gets a call. Uh, this is, uh, clearly an upsetting call for Pratt. Uh, Gallant is asking for help, uh, with, uh, Mr. Gilman and his wife. Uh, but Pratt is like, fuck you. I got to leave and ask Chen to cover for him. So it sounds like something's not going well, not going well with, uh, Leon. Remember that storyline? We were all so eager to revisit. Yay. Uh, Carrie's sitting in the drug lockup, cramping and clearly uncomfortable. Uh, she's been in there for an hour with her cramps, and she's apparently bled through four pads. Uh, can I just, for people who don't menstruate, let me just tell you, that's a lot. <laughs> that's just, just... Medically speaking, I wanna make, that's a no, lot. No, I, wa- I want to make that abundantly clear for the laymen. That's a fuck ton. Hashtag not all laymen. Yeah. Just, just FYI. That's that's not good. 
and an Abby's professional former uh, maternity ward nurse uh, opinion, she needs a DNC to aid with evacuating the miscarriage. And can I just say, too, that one of the underrated uh, highlights of this episode is the sort of the genesis of, like, the Carrie-Abby uh, right? friendship, you know? like So good. There's definitely, a, there's definitely a bond that's forged throughout all the sadness in this episode. Yes. I would say this is probably the birth of it here. No, uh, it's Bad choice yeah. of words. Bad choice of words, but yeah. Now I'm trying to think of a better one. Genesis. I think I said it. I guessed yeah. it. It's fine. Anyway. Uh, the origin. But there's a str- – there's anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, Carter is looking for Carrie, and Abby says, nope, she's on break. And uh, he sees Dr. McNulty suturing himself. And is like, dude, what the fuck? Um, they set the kid out for you 45 minutes ago. I was just getting shit done. Uh, Mr. Gilman's wife wants to collect semen before he dies because, again, they're trying to have a baby. And Gallant asks Carter what they should do because we learn from the kids if Coco doesn't get pregnant before he dies, she doesn't stand to inherit $7 million. Which I was like, I, I realize how fucked up my perception is by like modern, uh, modern, uh, modern American capitalist opulence and like, you know, how we just seem to like birth new billionaires every day. I was like... <clears throat> I was like, $7 million? This seems like an awful lot of trouble to go through for $7 million. Like, I was like, I mean, sure, $7 million sounds great to me. But, like, I was like, I feel like they, like, sold it a little short for this, like, you know, gold digger storyline. I would have, you know, I would have pumped those numbers up just a little bit. But then I had to remind myself it's 2003. Like, simpler time. And then we have a person who took a three-story fall through a skylight. Uh, Chen. Yeah, they're, they're basically basically dead uh got a bunch of pumpers everywhere uh they're short uh doctors because luca got sent home and carrie is temporarily out of action and here come the pretzels as uh pratt uh gets home looking for leon uh turns out he was attacked stabbed and stomped on by his friends uh and pratt's like we got to get you to the hospital uh yeah uh, predictably, uh, as we probably could have gleaned from the last scene, Skylight Person is dead already. Uh, that wasn't going to go well. Uh, Dr. McNulty's labs have come back. He's now MIA, uh, but I believe it's this is where they find out that he's diabetic, too. And they yeah. need to. Yeah, he has uh, a blood sugar of like 420 something. Need to get him back. Uh, Which, now I, learning more about that from my, mo- uh, from my mom, who is also a diabetic, that's bad. That is bad. That's real bad. That's real that's bad. That's like put her in the hospital bad mm-hmm. yeah i think my my niece is a type 1 diabetic and she was diagnosed when she was um you know like a toddler like two three um and when she finally when when my my brother and his wife when they noticed enough of the symptoms to be like we should take you to the doctor and find out what's going on with this uh her blood sugar was like 700 <laughs> like it was like crazy yeah. high like it was you know ugh. She's fine. Anything now. above anything above three hundred, and my mom's out of commission for a while. Yeah, not great. Uh, Abby checks in on Carrie. Uh, she's being treated by the uh, resident OB, and uh, Abby offers to give uh, Carrie a ride home in about an hour. And just the the there is a, something of an art to the like catatonic, 
you know, mm-hmm. sort of stuff that that Carrie is giving this episode. She doesn't. She doesn't overdo it. Though. No, she does not overdo it. She's not hysterical. She's not like. And she, but at the same time, she's not like wooden either. Like she is just, mm-hmm. you feel every ounce of emotion that she's going through, but it is just like, you have to take it from her. Like it's just, I, I don't know. It's, it's a very, very she's in good shock. Yeah. She's in shock. And it's, I hate to say that it's the highlight of this episode, but it really is. Like it's the, it's the big takeaway from this episode that, that, you know, you don't want to burn in a fire. Um, we, we then see Coco leaving with the jug of sperm to go oh. get IVF while Mr. Gilman's yeah. kids stay with him uh, as the admit desk just continues to, you know, chuckle over the the, the phrase electro ejaculator. Uh, again, total shifts like this episode is just this is feels like one of those throwback episodes from season one where it's just like we are all over the place with the tone. Uh all right, well, let's bring it down a notch. Uh, Gallant is on the phone with Pratt when Cargrass was going on, and then, well, Carr's going to go over to Pratt's apartment, so let's listen to that. Hey, it's G. All right, there it is. Lay in your stomach. Lay in your stomach. Oh, it hurts all over, G. Gallant, what took you so damn long? I can see I clearly got through to you earlier today. Running a little clinic out of the apartment? Who's hurt? It's my brother, Leo. Who are you? G? Don't worry. He's a doctor, too. Looks like he should be in the hospital. Nah, man. I heard that. Calm down. Calm down. We're We're not going anywhere. anywhere. Just calm down. Listen, we're staying right here. Either you're going to help or you're not. This is not smart, Brad. Everything in my life is not smart, Carter. How long ago did you get hurt? Three hours ago, but he's okay. Gunshot? Stab wound. Also fractured fourth and fifth metacarpals. He's got broken ribs, bloody nose, and no septal hematoma. Listen to me, um, I'm good. I got this. I mean, you can go now. All I needed was a suture kit. Why don't you want to go to the hospital? You don't want the assault reported? They're going to kill us. Nobody's gonna kill us. Let it go. Why'd you get beat up? I didn't have a gun when they asked for it. We gotta get a bad G. They want it. Holding the gun for someone else, huh? My friends. Some friends. I hate this. I know. I, Certainly a thing that happened. There was part of me as I was watching this episode where I was like, did they do they just leave it here? Is this the last time? No. We can it be the last we time. We still have like two or three more Leon episodes and I was oh just my like God. interminable this storyline is. Just will not end. It's <sighs> trauma porn. Like Yeah, but like not even particularly compelling trauma porn. Exactly. Like it's just it's just trauma for the sake of trauma. Like I just I don't know. Doesn't really like inform Pratt in any meaningful way. Like there's no. so many different ways you could get this same message from Carter to Pratt without this, whatever this is. I think, I'm not playing devil's advocate because this doesn't even deserve that, but I think what they're trying to do is not necessarily give 
Carter a chance to do this, but show us that Pratt's really a good guy who's going through some shit, mm-hmm. and he's not just a sleaze bag like we see at the beginning. Yeah, no, I yeah. think that's the big reason for them to have this is just to be like, no, he's he's got some shit going. Yeah, on. again, but there's so many better ways. To oh, do I'm that. No, yeah, yeah. I'm aware. Yeah, yeah, I'm just yeah, yeah. saying, I think that was what the motivation big, was. Big picture, I think that's definitely what they're trying to do, and I think it's just a a case of like a you know good intentions, but like you know bad bad execution like they just like like uh, lizzie said they chose kind of the clumsiest most awkward way to get that point across when there were so many other better available options that i would have liked to have seen them go with so it's just uh yeah <sighs> but then chip is talking to dr durad which hey dr durad um he admits that he is a danger to himself and others but he can't say what he'd do and I think it's Susan that says, if you don't tell the truth, we can't help you. And Dr. Durad's like, I don't have time for this. If he's not going to say it, I got other patients I got to see. And he goes to leave. And uh, Chips admits uh, that he's going to go to his ex, to go pick up his ex's son right after he leaves if they let him go. Huh. And he names the act, and I'm not going to go yeah. there. But he Great. he does say that he does have a plan to act on the minute they leave. Great. This feels a little bit like this whole conceit of this storyline of of like oh we can't we can't uh, put him up there until he says uh, like until he spells it out what he's gonna do. This feels like the medical show equivalent of the gotcha scene in a courtroom drama where it's like well they weren't Mirandized so it doesn't count like even if he's like it just feels like a I feel like if you asked the average like mental health professional in a hospital setting. I feel like they would. Pro- I feel like the the answer would probably be like, no, we would have like put this guy upstairs four hours ago. Like, I don't feel like they would have gone through all this song and dance with this guy who is clearly fucked up. Like, is like, yeah, <laughs> no, like the dude carved the word evil into his face. Right. That's. But, yeah, I, I feel like the, I feel like they stretched. Oh my god, the- this storyline out beyond the point of believe uh, of suspension of disbelief, which. You know, at least at this point, you know, up through the first nine seasons of the show, eight and a half seasons of the show, they haven't done that often. Like, so give them credit that this is one of the few times we can really say, like, okay, I feel like you're stretching me here of, like, somebody would have spoken up and been like, no, this guy needs to go upstairs, like, Well, ASAP. that, and the guy's, like, he's volunteering to get help anyway. Like, he's yeah. sitting right? there, staying there, so it's, like, it's not like they're trying to get him an involuntary hold. They're... Like, they're just trying to get him a spot. Unless they're saying, like, no, we need to have one where we have control over the hold so he just doesn't sign himself out right away. Yeah. That might be where they're saying that. Because I'm like, no, he's he's signing himself in, it seems like, without issue. Yeah, just... Well, I will say, having been part of that process... You're, Sorry, Lizzie. If you, if you check yourself in, it's minimum 72 hours, you have to say. Yeah. It just, like, it just felt like stretching for the sake of stretching with this storyline. Like, they were just, like... They had an upsetting idea. They wanted to they wanted to explore it, but they didn't really have enough to fill a full episode, so they had to like, you know, stretch it out over, you know, come up with these goofy plot conceits to try to make it last. But in any case, uh this is the last time we will see Dr. Gerard, uh the psych resident who has been with us or not psych resident, psych attending, uh who has been with us uh since the Lucy days. Uh mm. we we have had Dr. Gerard, I believe, since season 5. I, I, yep. I think he had a, a couple of one or two run-ins, maybe even with Doug. That's how long he's been around. 
but he is off to greener pastures uh, to go. <laughs> Although I guess by 2003, he's already firmly established, but he's, uh, he's off to go be the dickhead boss uh, in the wire to uh, uh, McNulty's character. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Rawls. One of my favorite asshole characters on that show. Uh, one of the fat white dudes I'm talking one, about that I can't remember the names of. One of the fat white dudes that Lauren has not achieved object permanence with. Uh, but we then go to probably my favorite upsetting scene in a very upsetting episode uh, where Carrie goes in to uh, check on the deaf woman, uh, her deaf patient from earlier. Um, and they're going through, I think Halle is also in the room and they're they're going through things carrie's translating the the sign language and she's saying that uh she does not want to dis- she doesn't want her parents to be called both because she doesn't want them to know that she's having sex and because she doesn't want to disappoint them more than she already has by being deaf which is a huge fucking bummer Just, uh, oof. yeah uh, and then the girl asks why carrie was in a robe earlier uh, and this is where Carrie has to sign to her what happened and, you know, tell her about the, the miscarriage. It's very beautifully shot. Very good music cues by Martin. It's it's the kind of scene that doesn't work terribly well audio only because there's so much sign language. Yeah, that's why um, I didn't get it. But it is for my money. It is the scene of the episode. Like it is it is the linchpin that holds the entire broken, busted mess that is this episode. It is the it is the linchpin that is holding this entire hot mess express together. Um, like, if you watch nothing else from this episode, just go watch that scene. It's it's truly, truly... Uh, it's not a joy to watch because it's really sad, but, like, it is definitely the best, best laid out, best executed scene in the whole thing. All right, now let's go to the actual last scene of the episode. Carter and Pratt are talking about Leon. Leon, he's your brother? No. Well, yeah, I'm kind of. He came to live with me and my mom when he was nine. I was six and I idolized him. Then when I was 15, my mom died of liver cancer and Leon took care of me, made sure I went to school. So when I was in college, one day he got into a fight in a bar in Detroit. (laughs) Believe me, this is one tough son of a bitch. I'm trying to tell you, I mean, he survived the nine millimeter bullet to the brain. But in turn, his IQ dropped about 40 points. Do you have any help? No. I've been doing it on my own for years. I'm good at that. Well, we work as a team. We cover for each other. We lean on each other. Job's too big to do solo. And if you can't get that, maybe you should be a surgeon. Or a superhero. Or something else that doesn't require trusting people. I've never been big on trust. You know what that turns into? Nobody trusts you either. Self-sufficiency is a good thing, but it's not the only thing. Asking for help when you need it doesn't make you weak. 
Maybe I should go inside now. Love a good Martin outro mm-hmm. on this Martin show. Flourish. That's that's was a beautiful one. It was a good one, uh, and I I like too that that you know, it's one of those things that I I guess I never, I never really like picked up on or maybe like didn't pay enough attention to, um, but there is something to be said for like they kind of are gonna start doing a little tiny bit, not exactly in the same way, but like they are gonna do a little bit of the like Benton Carter thing, but with the roles reversed. Like they are gonna do a little bit of like Carter taking over the Benton role as like the mentor to mm-hmm. Pratt, and it might not be as overt as the first time around, but like I think it is. Um, I think there is uh, something to be said for like the influence that Carter has on the person and the man that Pratt becomes over time, you know? And it, so it, I mean, he kind of like forces him to do it when he sends him to Africa. No, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, next and, season. Yeah. Like, like definitely, like I said, that, but the, it's not the direct parallel that it's not the direct type of relationship that was forged between Benton and Carter. Like Benton and Carter was, was a very direct, very like there was no, no, nuance no subtlety with that it was very much mentor mentee and not to say that there isn't that relationship happening here i just think it's a little bit more subtle and like he has a little bit more of a like subtle impact on uh pratt's overall growth arc so like i just like this like twist on the old formula give it a give it a fresh coat of paint like give it a new new twist on an old formula and and see where it goes and i think it works to to good effect even though i think the leon stuff is incredibly flawed and i'm ready for it to be over with I at least like that something positive is going to come out of it. Yeah. Can I take a minute about the apartment building? Absolutely. Of course, Lauren. Yes. She had many things to say about this when we were it wasn't. Notes. It wasn't many. I just, I had a realization. So from what we see of the inside of their building, yeah. it looks like, you know, it would be 20 plus unit, longer hallways, like mm-hmm. kind of standard, more apartment building when you think of it. So when we see them sitting out on the stoop, no fucking apartment building in Chicago that I've ever seen that's that kind of units has a stoop like I was that. Gonna say, so I was very mad. Like that stoop looks maybe like it would be in our, you know, eight unit where it's two units of floor yeah. kind of thing. But none of this long ass hallway how, bullshit <laughs> apartment that he has. It's just like, how deep does this building go? Right, I was like, no, no big building like that has a fucking stoop. We don't get these soulful moments out on the steps here. <laughs> we don't even get a stoop. No stoop. Like no, st- no stoop. No stoop for, no stoop you. for you. <laughs> Damn it! I couldn't get it out fast enough. Stoop kids afraid to leave a stoop. Oh, this episode's stupid. So yeah, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's instead of paying attention to any of the moments that were happening there, I was just like, that fucking apartment's wrong. Like, yeah, this this episode's really upsetting, and I don't intend to watch it ever again. Yeah, it, and, uh, it's a but like the Carrie stuff is absolutely fantastic, but like it's kind of like trying to polish a turd. Oh, absolutely. Uh, can. Can I slap me from a few months ago who was like, I'm so fucking ready for season nine, bitches. Oh, this is exactly what I was expecting. 
I mean, it's not, <sighs> yeah, I, 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 you know, this episode notwithstanding, and then we've had one or two, like, other, like, clunkers this yeah. season, but, like, and, like, th- like I said, there's still stuff to enjoy, and there's still stuff to pull out of this episode. Like, this episode, I think, is a 7 out of 10 for me with the Carrie stuff, and only yeah. because of the Carrie stuff, and a few chu- yep. and a few chuckles that I got out of the uh, the Mr. Gilman storyline. You know, even though it, even though it's really like out of place in this episode, especially when you figure what it's up against. Um, but like without the carry stuff, if they don't do the carry, like if they let's say they make Pratt's thing the like lin- the, the 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 crux of this episode, they make they make Pratt's thing the the a plot. This is a four out of ten. This is a five out of ten. This is a bad episode. Like this is not this is not just like a oh it's a flawed episode that could be better. No, it's fucking straight up. It's bad. But the carry stuff takes it and brings it up a notch and takes you out of the, the dumpster a little bit and at least gets it up to a seven, I think. Um, but there's there's just a lot to unpack with this episode and a lot to fix to make it truly good. And I don't know how you really do. I mean, the, the pedophilia storyline is so tough because it's like, how do you broach that topic and do it well and do it in a way that makes people want to watch. Like, I think the answer don't. is: Do you really have to include it? True, at all? absolutely. And I think that's also a. I think that's also a, f- a fair question. Like, is it worth even doing at all? I don't know. Like, I feel <laughs> like they were trying. I feel like their intention here was to be like, well, we're not going to shy away from this upsetting thing just because it's upsetting. But then at a certain point, you do have to ask yourself the question, are we not making entertainment here? Like, are we not making a show that is meant to entertain and meant to distract, you know, like, do we have to do the, the pedophilia storyline? I don't know, but it's just, eh, eh. Lauren, any final thoughts before the listeners? (laughs) Lauren has just left. She's tired of talking. She doesn't want to talk about it. I was thirsty. (laughs) Oh god, that was the perfect visual, Lauren. What do listeners have to say about it? Chair, just a chair. How old is that, Lauren? I don't know. I haven't gotten any of that stuff in like two months. Mm. I'm an adult. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's the oat-based one, and it doesn't taste rancid. I'm taking my risks. All right. Well, Lauren, after your dysentery, what the listeners have to say about it? The <sighs> episode that is not the That's- dysentery. That's really why I'm drinking this, this sweet release of death sooner from this episode. Um, Alina M. says, The middle part of season nine is not that great, in my opinion. And this episode is an example. The good part, Carrie's plot, is deeply touching. It brings me back to a miscarriage I experienced. I was just as devastated, even though I wasn't as far as 14 weeks. 14 weeks would actually be considered a late miscarriage. Carrie's reaction to the pregnancy loss is in perfect alignment with her character. Just like the way she finally shows her emotions when she signs, not speaking out loud to the deaf person, that, to the deaf patient that she lost her baby. Wonderful job by Laura Inez. I also liked how Abby showed just the right amount of compassion to Carrie. This plot, unfortunately, contrasts sharply with the tacky plot of Mr. Gilman and his gold digger wife, and the subplot of Chen and her mathletes. What was the point of that? I also thought it was quite ironic that Chen interrupted Luca during the M&M since she killed a patient the year before due to a misdiagnosis. Carter seems to have double standards as well. His colleague of less than a year tries to sneak in a gun, but he is not really concerned. 
Did he forget that he let a walkout this season in demand of metal detectors because of a hostage with a gun? And his words to Pratt at the end of, about how they're a team and cover for each other fell to me, felt to me somewhat empty considering the looming disaster within their own team. What? I'll just, I'll just remember when we're on that episode and know what's going on. Great. Uh, Soph says, they got an actual deaf actress to play the trauma patient? Shoshana Stern is awesome, and it totally tracks that Carrie can sign and signed well. But someone please tell me what number to call for the interpreters, because it's just like what they do with Chuni and Spanish-speaking patients. The deaf rep was great here, and Shoshana and Laura had a lot of acting chemistry. I do have to point out that not even the best lip reader in the world is going to catch everything, and everyone's mouth is different. Accents, facial hair, facial expressions... The way I, as a lip reader, would interact with Elizabeth or Luca with an accent would be much different and harder than if I lip read on Carrie, who doesn't really have a strict accent except on certain words, but whose lips don't really move when she talks. Interesting. Hmm. Good point. Heather R. says, This episode has a place in my heart because I always look back on it as a start to one of my favorite friendships, Weaver and Abby. Seeing Abby walk in on Carrie, sure the lights were off, but the door wasn't locked, and immediately go into nurse mode was sweet. You could see Abby ever so briefly take a second to process, since I think the only person in the ER who knew about the pregnancy was Susan, right? Carrie just seemed so vulnerable here, understandably so. At the time I enjoyed their scenes together in this episode, I enjoyed them even more on rewatches as their friendship developed, seeing where these characters end up. The hierarchy of boss versus nurse or whatever was gone. Just a little help from her friend. Hey, what an episode title. It also felt very in her character to keep working rather than go home at Abby's urging. Weaver was trying to be so strong when it, when it was okay to let her guard down a little, which finally happened when she broke down with the patient. As for the rest of the patients, we've got mathletes to an elderly gentleman who whispers, when can I bang her into Gallant's ear, to undocumented workers, and then a pedophile who carves evil into his skin. A little bit of everything. Oh, and the lovely Ad Asner starts his arc. This doctor character seems to hate Spunk, too. Cool, cool, cool. Well, thanks everyone very much for listening to our episode today. Uh, Upsetting as it may have been. (laughs) Uh, The show's brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash Podcast, where for only $5 a month, you can join dozens of other listeners who get access to a bunch of stuff, including a free... Set of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry. Uh, and over 75 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge. Uh, Lauren and I think probably by the time this episode's out, the latest one should be out because yeah. Lauren and I are recording it this weekend. We're talking about Oppenheimer, and we're going to go see it this on Saturday. And movie reviews, where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, and we are at Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Tone community on Facebook, and feel free to reach out to us if you'd like to be a part of our Discord. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. Whereas nuts are being roasted after, uh, on an open fire. <laughs> Lauren, where can folks find you? Uh, folks can find me being chief officer of the Juice Box, 
juice box and nap nap squad because this work week is going to kill me so if i am not here on mic or at my desk for work i will be in bed all week y'all can find me there we have stickers no we don't we have shirts we do have juice but random side note we do have a juice box nap nap squad shirts in the store we do and they're cute and i want the crop top one really bad Uh, you can find me on the sh- sinking ship that is Twitter. I am at Random Gamer. That's J A M three R. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time. Hopefully, for a better episode, and have a great week. Mm-hmm.